Let's open our Bibles tonight, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5, we'll begin there. We're going to finish this book tonight. We're going to finish 1 Corinthians chapter 16 tonight. I'm going to take it slow this evening. How many know the Word of God can change your life? There's nothing like the Word of God. So this evening, instead of read all this, what I want to do is I'm going I'm to, as I make my points, I want to read the portion that we're going to read. And I want to get right into this. So I have plenty of time to get to this chapter. I just simply want to title this teaching tonight, Final Thoughts. These are Paul's final thoughts. This is, uh, this, there's actually two books. There's First and Second Corinthians, of course. But this is Paul's first book to a church that he went to. You know, as, as I've said, you know this, Corinth was a very dark place. It's kind of the Las Vegas of the day, if I could say it that way. You know, it was a dark place. A lot of sin, a lot of immorality uh, went on there. And so, but what happened is, Paul went there with the gospel. How many of you know when you, when you go and share the gospel, it can change? It can change anyone. Amen? And so, so this evening, as we finish these final thoughts here, there's really, these are the things that are on Paul's heart. And, and what Paul's going to do is, He's going to kind of tie it all off. He's going to kind of, he actually kind of goes back and mentions some of the things he mentioned at first, and he ties it off. So final thoughts. These are the things, and actually I want to deal with six things. We'll take just a minute on each one. Six concerns of Paul's heart as he finishes this. The first thing Paul's concerned with, we find it in verse 5 through 9, and I'll read these. These will be on the screen. But the first thing that Paul is concerned with as he concludes the book is this. He's really concerned about the spiritual condition of the church. He wants to come visit them, and you're going to see this as I read it. He's, he wants to come visit the church. He wants to come spend some time there. Now, he's not wanting to, he's not, now we know he's not wanting to come and go to the Ithmian Games, the Olympic Games. He, he wants to come, and he wants to minister to them and impart a blessing to their life. Because he's concerned about the spiritual condition of the church. So pick it up with me in verse 5. He says this, now, when I come to, uh, now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia. For I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you. That you may, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. I mean, he didn't even know where he was going. He was a man that every day of his life, he did what we need to do. Lord, what is your will for me today? Isn't that a great way to live? Lord, let your will be done in my life. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray that prayer. Did he not? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Paul said, "Wherever I'm going to come, I want to come and I want to spend some time with you. I may even spend the winter there. You know, and this, what this reminds me of is James said there's those that live in pride that said, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. And he said, why are you saying that? You don't know what a day may bring forth. So as the children of God, we need to have our hearts open to the will of God. We need to have our hearts open to a new door that God may have. We need to, have, we need to be yielded to God every day. Lord, let your will be done. Yeah, we need to organize. Yeah, we need to plan. I mean, you know, we've got some plans. We, we're planning some things out, but we need to have hearts that are tender. So he says here, notice, wherever I go, verse 7. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you, if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. So we see plans, 
but they're kind of loose plans, aren't they? Somebody says, do you have a five-year plan? Well, no, I'm on, I, I don't have, you know, I mean, yeah, I've got plans, but it's got to be, Lord, let your will be done. But notice, notice Paul's, Paul ministered this church. He had to leave for certain reasons, but he's concerned. His heart is there with them, and he writes them a letter. And aren't you glad that, you know, aren't you glad for these letters because we get in, we get the Bible because of these problems that Paul is dealing with in the church. And so Paul's heart, heart's there. He wants, to, he wants to come and stay with them. And what he wants to do is come and nurture them. He wants to come and strengthen their faith. And that's why God gives the church pastors. Pastor are, pastors are more essential now, I think, probably than they've ever been in our world. We need, we need God-called pastors. You know, there's a call of God. Do you know that there's a call of God that God places on certain individuals I don't, I don't believe in just handing the Bible to anyone who's a Christian and say, hey, dude, no, are you called of God? Certainly we wouldn't presume upon an office which God hasn't called us to. But Paul has this call of God, and he's got this heart for these people that needed Paul as their shepherd. But notice, Paul is always constantly pushing the people. I mean, if Paul, if Paul would come on this next Sunday and he would preach to us, it would be a message, I'm certainly, it would have, it'd be, it'd be about Jesus. Jesus would be in there. I mean, we may hear a little testimony of, you know, Paul would maybe say something like this. You know, the way I was saved is Jesus appeared to me. That's hard for us to, to imagine, but that's how it happened. It didn't happen to me that way. Jesus didn't appear to me, but I did get the same Jesus. Come on, amen? I mean, some conversions are very dramatic, but they're all conversions and they're all real. And Paul might have said that to us. If, let's, say, let's just think about it. He's here next Sunday and he's preaching and he gives a little testimony. Jesus came into my life. He appeared to me on the Damascus Road. But somewhere in that sermon, we would feel pressure from Paul the minister, the apostle. What we, he would be pushing us closer to God. He would be pleading with us saying, listen, in these evil days, you need to get close to God. You need to grow. You need to know the word more. Have you been praying like you need to be praying? Oh, so-and-so missed, where are they? You know, he would be really concerned about our spiritual condition. We get that in a lot, of, a lot of places. In fact, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, one of the things, he had never met them. He had never been to Rome when he wrote the letter to the Romans. So when he, when he said, I want to come and see you, what does, what does he say he wants to do? In Romans 1.11, look on the screen. In Romans 1.11, he said, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. Paul's saying, I want to come to you, and I want to encourage you in Jesus. I love that the songs that we sing. You know, our services are brief for on Wednesday evening. You know, Sunday we're full, but Wednesday, you know, people are spread out, as I've said. But as we're here worshiping just these three songs, did you notice they mentioned Jesus? I've been in some worship services in different churches, and I thought I was in the Old Testament. It was all about this vague, about, you know, Lord and, and God and all this. But, you know, I, our worship is better than David's worship. Because David couldn't mention Jesus because he hadn't come yet. We have a better worship today because we mentioned Jesus. And so Paul's saying, I want to come. And I want to encourage you. I want to impart something. The anointing on my life and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul would have probably said something like this. In myself, in my humanness, I don't have anything 
that I can give you. But the anointing is upon me. And how many of you know when the anointing is on your life, you have something to give? I can tell you, if somebody comes with the anointing, you're going to leave different. You're going to leave with a scripture. You're going to leave with a, with, a, with a focus. Something that the minister says is going to touch your heart and life. I can tell you this, uh, and he's watching tonight. Uh, he watches at home. He can't make it. Brother Brad Stewart. And several, several years ago, this has been maybe almost eight years ago, maybe more. And at the first of a year, I was really challenging the congregation. You need to read your Bible. You know, many Christians never read the Bible through. I can't even imagine that. But they never read the Bible too much. You know, they hit and miss, but they don't read it systematically. And something I said that Sunday sparked bread. This is probably a decade ago now. Something sparked in him. That anointing that was on my life just put something in him, just stirred him. To this day, Brad has probably read the Bible through maybe 10 times or more. Different translations. And I remember at the end of that year, he came to me like December 31st or right toward the end of the last Sunday of the year. And he, he came to the altar and he handed me something. And I was like, okay, what's this? He said, I did it. He said, what? He said, we finished the entire Bible this year. We finished it today, this morning. And since that time, he's got a fire in his spirit. Now he's enrolled at DTS. He's taking classes. He wants to get his MDiv. I tell you, God sparked something. See, when there's an anointing on someone, like Paul, the apostle, he's pushing them. I want to impart something to you. I want you to go deeper in God. And that was Paul's concern. That was Paul's heart there. And then we see in Acts 20, 31, we see this same feeling, this same heart of Paul for the people. 20, 31 in Acts, Paul said it this way. Therefore, watch and remember, notice this, for three years I did not cease to warn you, uh, warn everyone night and day with tears. I mean, how passionate would I be up here right now if I'm ministering to you and tears are flowing down my face because I love you so much, because we care about the spiritual condition of the people. I can tell you, this is not a job for me. This is a calling. And Paul, I'm sure, felt the same way. So you can't fire a guy that doesn't have a job. How can you fire when you work for God? You can't get a guy fired like that. Think of Paul, night and day, warning them with passion, warning them about sin, warning them of the danger of staying immature. He's passionate. He's weeping night and day for three years. That's a passionate guy. Here's Paul, his concern for these Corinthians from the first chapter now to the 16th chapter, he was concerned about their spiritual condition. Here's what he said. He said, I want to come, maybe even spend the winter with you, but he said, I plan on remaining in Ephesus until Pentecost. Now, there's two reasons he said that he wanted to remain there until Pentecost. He said, number one, he said, there's a door open to me. Did I read that to you? He said in verse 9, and there's a great, do- great and effective door open to me, and there are many adversaries. So he says two things here about what's happening there. Number one, something new is happening, and I can't leave right now. There's a new door that's being opened by the Lord And I feel like this is God. I can't leave here. Ephesus, God's opening up a new vista of ministry. Lives are being changed. Lives are being touched. And then he said, but the second reason I can't leave is why? There's adversaries there. 
Now, we think it'd be opposite. There's adversaries I'm, I can't stay. No, Paul said, I've got to get this. Th- these people are getting saved. They're new believers. He said, I have to stay here and fight off the wolves. But he said, there's a new door here. We need to pray for new doors. God's, God's opened a new door for us. Isn't it amazing what we're about to do? It's really amazing. You know why? Because God's preparing the future of this church. I told someone recently, I think maybe my role here is to make sure this church has a future. Next 50, 100 years, we're bridging that gap. We're saying no more to the past. Come on, amen? We're saying their soul's going to be saved on this property. Their lives going to be changed. Missionaries are going to be supported. The sick will be healed on this property. Family, marriages are going to be put back together. Kids that were on drugs are going to say no more to drugs because I found Jesus at that church. A great door. We need to pray for greater doors. Philadelphia in Revelation is the church of the open door. A door is opened, in, in, uh, he said to the Philadelphia church. But there's many adversaries. One translation says, there are many who oppose me. Now, I wish I had time to go to Acts 19. I, I, I don't have time. But I wish I could read Acts 19 and just read the story of what's happening, what Paul's talking about. He said there's a great door. And the door was that he started preaching. People started being saved. And then unusual miracles started taking place. I mean, he would work during the day making tents. And I guess Paul couldn't get there to pray for them. They would take part of his clothing and tear it off and put it on people, I guess. And they would be healed miraculously. Paul called it unusual miracles. Demons were being cast out. People were in false worship and magic arts, and they brought all that and began to burn that. The, the goddess Artemis, Diana, that false goddess, they began to get rid of it. It began to affect the economy. God was moving so greatly because people weren't buying these idol gods anymore that apparently supported the economy. And then all of a sudden, there's this huge riot because the, the trade guilds, those that made the idols, these trade guilds begin to rise up and they begin to say, listen, this Paul, he's a, you know, he's a troublemaker. He's preaching Jesus and people are not worshiping Diana anymore and they're worshiping this Jesus anymore. And now our businesses have gone down. They started rioting. A great door had been opened, but many adversaries Many adversaries. How many know that the enemy uses people? The enemy inspires people to oppose the gospel, to oppose ministers, to oppose the church. And and we've got to be strong. You understand, these are days we need to be strong. There's too many weak Christians. We need to be strong in these days. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We need some warriors. We need some mighty men of God that, are, that have a warrior spirit. We're, we're soldiers in the, in the Lord's army. And so, but we got to, Paul talked about hardness. It's the opposite in America, isn't it? We have ease in America, but in that day there was hardness. Now here's a verse that's not, not in my notes, but 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 this uh, to Timothy, two Timothy says, two Second uh, Timothy two three, you therefore must endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
How many in our modern American church, we, we repel at hardness. We leave nice, comfortable homes. We get in a nice, comfortable car. We come to a nice, comfortable church. And we call that serving Jesus. There's no hardness in our life. There's, there's barely any cross in our life. So think about it. How much have we ever in our entire lives sacrificed for Jesus? And yet these people like Paul gave their lives, were martyred. They were murdered for the gospel. And they rejoiced that they were thrown in jail. I heard one guy, one old preacher, he went to India and he was preaching in a place. I guess he wasn't supposed to. So they threw him in jail. And he called back to the, uh, he called back to the States or they called him, I guess. And they finally got him. And they were like, oh, pastor. Oh, and they, they were all distraught. He was like going, praise the Lord. He said, they've thrown me. He said, they've thrown me in jail. Revival's about to break out. He was so happy. He was so happy. But listen, Paul was concerned about the spiritual condition of the church. That's the first concern. Second concern we find in verse 10. In verse 10, 1 Corinthians 16, 10. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear. And he, for he does, he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I'm waiting for him with the brethren. The second concern is Paul's concerned not only about the spiritual condition of the entire church, he sent Timothy to them, and he says, when he gets there, I'm concerned about the Timothy's treatment and Timothy's welfare when he comes among the Corinthian church. I think Corinthian church might have been one of those church that eat preachers and spits them out. But he said, I'm concerned about that. Now, we know that Timothy did visit the church. We know back in chapter 4, verse 17, it mentions it. Look at this. He said in 417, for this reason I have sent Timothy to, to you. He said, who is my beloved and faithful son? And the Lord noticed that. He's a spiritual son to this man. Who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So Timothy was a son in the Lord. And so he's saying, in a sense, he said, when Timothy comes, even though he's young, he's a man of God. And because he's a God-called man of God, he deserves respect. Every man of God deserves respect and honor because of the call of God. Every minister is a gift of Christ to the church. That's what, Hebrew, that's what Ephesians 4 says, does it not? And he, Jesus, he, Jesus, the, the Lord and master of the church, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He gives them. They're gifted men to the church to help the church. And he says, when Timothy comes, I want him to be respected. He needs respect. He's, he's my own son. He's my own disciple. Now, Here's what I would say here is this. He, he was young and he needed encouragement. That's what young people need. In, in 2 Timothy 1.6, Timothy got discouraged and he let the fire of devotion and ministry die down. And Paul wrote to him and said this, Timothy, I want you to stir up the gift of God that is in you. By the laying on of my hands. He said, Timothy, when I laid hands on you, the anointing came on you, and there was a fire there. There was an excitement about ministry, but, but, but through time and through, through difficulty, through difficult people, through difficult circumstances, through dif uh, uh, deficiency in, in your personality, you've let the fire die down. But, but Timothy, Jesus still has something for you to do. Stir it up again and see what God will do. 
What's Paul doing? Paul was an encourager. And that's what young people need. Timothy seems to have a timid spirit because he says in 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, God has not given you a spirit of fear. And that word fear means timidity. It's the opposite of boldness. God's not given you a spirit of fear, but what, what has he given you? He's given you power. That Greek word is dunamis. He's given you love. That's agape. He's given you a sound mind. Now that means a mind without panic. Now this today, I did something bad. Uh, probably not just one thing, but this is one I'll confess. Uh, my girls were in the kitchen. I just walked in there and I said, I screamed real loud just to mess with them. And uh, I said, hey, I got not see <laughs> Have you ever done that? I'm bad sometimes, but anyway. So I did that. They all ju- they jumped and they said, oh, "My heart, my heart skipped a beat." And 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 the sound mind is is the opposite of that. That panic, that's the opposite of a sound mind. You're in the battle, and the, it's fierce, and there's fear, and there's panic in the battle. You see the you see the enemy coming in the battle, and you panic. Sound mind is the opposite of panic. A sound mind is you're in the battle, but you're you're stable. You're calm. You've got your mind on God. I mean, I mean it, the, it may, everything may be flying around you, but yet you're focused on God. You're like, you're like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, king, we don't have to be careful to answer you because our God will deliver us. But if our God does not deliver us, we will still not bow to you. Timothy needed that. He needed that encouragement. See, here's the thing. Power, love, and ascent. God's not giving you a spirit of fear. So what kind of spirit has he given us? Power, love, and a sound mind. Who does that come from? What spirit does that come from? Say it. Holy Spirit. He comes from Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit makes up the difference in our lives. We were, never to, we were never to serve God just simply in the natural, with our natural ability. Oh, does Pastor Charles have the natural abilities to be a minister? That's how carnal people think. No, if we're called of God, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability. The Holy Spirit is the difference. It's not by might or power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. What we need is more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's what Timothy needed. And so... Paul's concern was what? Paul was concerned about the spiritual condition of the church. Wondering how they were doing. Continue to get them close to God. Challenge them. Exhort them. But he's also concerned with the welfare of his young son in the Lord, Timothy. And he uses the word there. Don't let anyone despise him. That means to look down on because he's young. That means to treat as if he's worthless. As if he's a no one. And that's never how... Young people should be treated. I believe young people can play a vital role in the work of God. It's said in Ecclesiastes, remember the creator when? When you're old, you lived your life, you can't get around anymore. No, that's not what it says. Remember the creator in the days of your youth. I'm so grateful that I got saved when I was a young man. I've served the Lord most of my life. There's times I didn't, early, early years, but I've given the best years of my life to Jesus, and i got a whole lot of life to give him yet. Come on, amen? I want to be like that. I want to be like that, that little grave marker up in the Alps. They, they were hiking up in the Alps in one of those little hiking trails, and they found a little grave marker. And somebody had died, and they buried him there. And it simply said on the grave marker, he died climbing. 
He died climbing. Don't you want to leave this world climbing? Don't you want to, listen, don't you want to leave this world not talking about, well, you know, in 1952, we had a great revival and man, we used to win people of the Lord. Man, we used to have all night prayer meetings. I want to die climbing. I want to die moving forward in the name of Jesus. I believe our best days are ahead of us in each of our personal lives if we'll want them to be. Listen, we have what we want. You think God's, you think that, you say, well, I'm waiting on God. Well, you're waiting, you're not waiting right. He's waiting on you. Do you know, this is a finished plan of salvation. It is finished. The Holy Spirit has been sent. The word of God is completed. The blessing of God, the promises of God are, are for us. You think God's way, you think we're waiting on God? No, he's waiting on us to move those mountains with the authority he's given us. He's waiting for us to build the church. He's waiting for us to do things that we've never done before. He's waiting for us to risk things we've never risked before. He's ready for us to be daring. Timothy needed that. Now let's do it. Think about it. Think about all the great things young people have done. David killed Goliath when he was a teenager. Just a boy. Why did he do it? Because he believed he could do it, and God was with him. What about Mary, the mother of Jesus? A young teenage girl that believed God. And oh, how she blessed us with giving birth to Jesus. The apostles. You know, you see these pictures of all the apostles, and sometimes they're old guys with a bunch of, long, you know, a bunch of white long beards. Wrong, 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 wrong. They were all young men. They, John was probably in his teen years. I don't believe any of them are above 30. He chose young men. Why? Because young men are not afraid of anything. That's why they send 18 years old men off to war, because they're not afraid to face the enemy. And, and listen, you, might not be, you may not be young like some of these folks in here, but listen, you can have a young, daring spirit. Caleb said, I'm 80 years old, but I'm just as strong as I was 40 years ago. I'm just as strong. I've got just as much faith, just as much vigor, just as much fight. He said, well, I can't fight like I did before. Well, just gum the devil. Kick him, bite him, curse that devil. Greater is he that's in you and me than he that's in the world. Let's have young spirits. God is for us. God is for us. Oh, if we could get that. God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Listen, Jesus loves us. He wants us to have faith that can move mountains out of the way. And Paul was concerned about Timothy. And, you know, it says in, in the writing of Timothy, he says, it says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example in word and in, in, in conversation, in faith and in purity. Be an example as a young person. I believe young people can have great respect just by the way they live. Godly, holy lives. Here's a third concern. Paul was also concerned about a fellow brother. Now, here's a neat thing about this. Look at verse 12. In verse number 12, Paul says this. Now concerning our brother Apollos. Everyone say Apollos. Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren. But he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Here's the third concern, and that's Paul's concern for Apollos. Now, notice this. Here's something neat. He calls Paul, Apollos a brother. 
a brother. So this was, this was someone that Paul loved. This was a fellow minister. This was someone who was a strength to Paul. And this was someone, Paul said, listen, Paulus, I can't go to Corinth, but you can go and make a difference. And I want you to go. And he wasn't willing at that time to go with the, the group that was going. But here's what I see here. Paul was grateful for the ministry of Apollos. Now, Paul's ministry was different than Apollos. But you know, that's a good thing, isn't it? Our ministries do it. There's too much emulation in the body of Christ. I can almost tell what a preacher, what YouTube preacher that the preacher's listening to. I've listened to preachers. They start sounding like the guys they're listening to. Even their words start, I'm thinking, man, serious? Listen, I was born an original. I'm not dying a copy. I appreciate ministries, but I'm not a clone of anyone. Come on, amen? You're your unique you. You're a unique part of the body of Christ. We can learn from others. We can appreciate others. We can admire their gifts. We can glean spiritual nourishment. But don't mimic anyone. Anytime you and I start mimicking another preacher, you're a play actor. You know what the Bible talks about play actors? In the Bible, the word is hypocrite. You think the Lord's going to anoint someone who's play acting? Who's like acting in front of people? Is that just, it's just not good. Come on, amen? Let me take a break here. But he was concerned with Apollos. Now look at this here. Now, <clears throat> there was no jealousy between Paul and Apollos. There wasn't. Here's, here's the thing. The division between spiritual leaders in the church wasn't created by the ministers. It was created by all the immature Christians in Corinth. You remember, you remember in the first chapter, Chloe, the, a, a group of people, a family from Chloe's household, sent a letter to Paul and said, hey, Paul, we got trouble in the church. He said, what's the, what's the, what's the issue? One of the issues was they were dividing over ministers. And they were saying, well, I'm of Paul. I like Paul better. And then there's nothing. Oh, no, no. Paul, Apollos is our guy. He's, he's our guy. We like him. Pa- Apollos was eloquent. It says in Acts 18, he was an eloquent speaker. Do you realize this? Apollos eloquent. Do you realize Paul was not an eloquent speaker? Paul wasn't as good of a speaker as Apollos was. You could see that in Scripture. Yet there was no jealousy among them. Paul says, he's my brother. Apollos, go back. They need you. So where did all the jealousy come from? It wasn't in Paul. It wasn't in Apollos. It came from the immature people. Here's what I want you to know is this. Division in the church concerning ministers was created by the immature church members, not the spiritual leaders. Now think about this. When when a church is immature, they divide over ministers. But when a church is mature, they benefit from all their ministers. There's some people, this is my guy. He's my YouTube guy. I've got to listen to him. Oh, I've got to, I, can't, I can't receive anything from anyone else but my YouTube guy. Let me tell you this. You've just revealed that you're an immature person. When a church grows up, they realize that all God's ministers are gifts to the body. And God puts every minister in the church, not just in our denomination, but there's wonderful ministers that are not in our denomination that that I've received from many, many times. Many times. Why are they in the body? 
They're in the body because it takes all of them. Notice what Paul says. In, in the third chapter, the fifth verse. Here's what Paul said. This is how Paul said we need to view ministers. Now look at this. Chapter First uh, Corinthians 3, 5. It says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers to whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything. Nor is he who waters, but God. Everybody say God. But God who gives the increase. What's Paul? Nothing. What's Apollos? Nothing. What's God? Everything. I mean, think about it. Who are we giving the glory to? Think about it. Who's getting the glory? I can tell you this. If anyone goes to any church service... Wherever it is, and they leave the service, and all they can talk about, man, that minister was great. Man, that guy was great. Wow, that guy. Wow, 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 that guy, that guy. Complete failure. Complete failure. But if we leave, whatever meeting we've ever attended in our lifetime, if we leave those meetings, and all we can say is, isn't Jesus amazing? Isn't God so wonderful? Isn't he glorious? Perfect success. Why? Because no flesh will ever glory in his presence. So what in God's presence? He gets all the glory. What are we? What are we? We're planters of the seeds. We may be waterers, but God's got to give the increase. So that means he gives all he gets all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. Come on, amen. All right. And look at this. In verse 21 of this chapter, he says this. Therefore, let no one boast in men. You got that? Let me read that again. Is that on the screen? Look at this. Let no one boast in men. In other words, there's no superstars. None. Zero. We're all servants. We're all servants. Just waterers, seed planters. Look at this. For all things are yours. Every minister. Paulus is yours. Timothy's yours. Paul is yours. The apostles. Everything is for you. Whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All are yours. You are Christ, and Christ is God. All are yours. All are yours. Why, ministers? Because they are all yours. Every one of them are for your good. And if you'll open your heart, it may not be your guy with your favorite style, but they have a part. They may be a teacher. They may be a preacher. They may be an apostle. They may be a prophet. They may be an exhorter, but they have a part in the body, and we need to open our hearts to all God's called ministers because they all are ours, and they're all for the building up and the maturity of the body of Christ. Is that good? Is that all right? All right. All right. Let's, let's hurry. Number four, the fourth concern is the way the Christians live. Now look at this. Almost done here. Verse 13. Now notice this. In verse 13 and 14, there are five charges. Now notice this. Every one of them are in the, pre- in the, in the present tense. Every one of them. That means this. Present tense means this is what I constantly want you to do. Paul was concerned how they live. So listen, serving Jesus is not about going to a church service. 
Serving Jesus is about how we live every day. Notice this, verse 13. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, let all things be done. Uh, you, all things that you do be done with love. So, so notice what he says here. First of all, he says watch. That means you need to be alert, spiritually alert, and not be spiritually sleepy. Don't get distracted. Stay on fire for God. Watch. When we, we, need to, we need to constantly put fuel in our spiritual lives that we stay on fire. There's this constant pull to, to away from God in our culture. Even our own hearts. Listen, our own humanness, our own, uh, our own humanness, we have to war against. So we need, to, we need to constantly be putting logs on the fire, so to speak. Then he says, stand fast in the faith. And, and the faith there is, means the faith, the, the body of truth. Trusting God, trusting his word. And so that means we need a strong grip on the doctrines of Christ. You know, just to say, well, what, what do you believe? I believe in God. Well, yeah, but that's what God what do you believe about God? Who is he? What is he? You know, there's so, we, we need to have such a strong faith. Not, we're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Every Christian ought to be doctrinally sound. And one of the things that I see today in many, many sermons, there's so little doctrine in most sermons. I mean, there was more doctrines in some of the old songs we used to sing than most sermons. There are, and, and, and forgive me if I sound like I'm kind of getting on a soapbox here. There's too many therapeutic sermons. God is not our therapist. He's our God. He's not our therapist. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. And there's too many therapeutic sermons. And not enough sermons that are establishing people in the deep and wonderful doctrines of Christ and the resurrection and his death, his burial, his resurrection, doctrines of Holy Spirit, doctrines of how we live, what God wants to do in all aspects of our lives. We need to stand strong in the faith. And we need to be brave. I mentioned that. We need to be courageous men and women of God. We don't need to be ashamed of Jesus ever. It says here we need to be strong, strong believers. We need to not be compromising. We need to be strong. And then he says, do all things in love. And that's the atmosphere. That's that wonderful atmosphere that makes the church the church. One of my favorite sayings, and I'll say this to the day I die. What kind of church do you want? Here's what I want. Acts 11 says that when Barnabas went to Antioch, he saw the grace of God among them. God was so powerful in his grace, his mercy, and his love that, lo- that, that he, could, he, he could see what God, he could see the love of God in the fruit that they were living among one another. All right. And last two. The fifth concern that Paul has are about, his, about the, the, the models in the church. You know, we need some models in the church. You know, we need some people that are little boys and girls that are out here. We need models that they can see their Sunday school teachers and see the ones that minister to them, that they live such great lives that they can model after them. You know, modern in our morals and our marriages and in our faithfulness. There's people that have a great impact on my life and your life. So, so notice this. Verse 15. He says, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus. He was the first fruits of Achaia. Notice this. As they were devoted, they devoted themselves to the minister of the saints. Wow. 
What a great statement. What's that family like? They're completely dedicated to God's people in the church. They dedicated themselves to the ministry of the saints. Then it says that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. I, glad, I am glad about the coming of Siphonus for Ortonatus and Achaicus. For what, uh, for what was lacking on your part, they supplied. For they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. So Stephanus and his household was devoted to the ministry. And then these three, he mentions three, two other guys with him. And he says three things about them. He says they were faithful in their service to the Lord and the saints. They refreshed his spirit. And he says basically they're shining examples to what Christians should be. Every church needs that. We need some models in the church. We need some people we can model after. We need some people we can point out, point to, and say, listen, this is what Christianity is. We need that desperately. Don't you think our young people need that today? Oh, that every young person can be raised in a home, and when their parents pass on, they say, you know what, mom and dad, Never miss church unless it was some extenuating circumstance. Mom and dad prayed. Mom and dad, I can remember them reading the Bible at home. Mom and dad were the same in the church as they were in the house. I'm not talking about perfect. Nobody's perfect. But there's a sincerity. There's a love for Jesus. Paul was concerned about those models. He said, these are the kind of people you need to look at. Stephanus, his household... Uh, Fortunatus and these other uh, Achaicus, whoever, whoever they are, this is their 15 minutes of fame. Well, no, no, I'm sorry, 2,000 years of fame. 2,000 years people have been reading this. They got in. Could that be said about us? They're devoted to the. See, Paul was concerned about having those kind of models. And then the last thing, I'll close with this. And we close this book. This is the 38th sermon in this book. I ought to make a book out of those sermons just to give it out to someone. I don't think anyone would buy it, but anyway. So here's the last thing he's concerned with. He's concerned with the unity of the church. Now notice the theme. Paul ends with this thought of the brotherhood. And you get a warm feeling when you read these. And I'll close with these verses. Verse 19. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The salutation with my own hand, Paul's. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. And we say what? We say amen. I want you to stand. Paul stresses this unity. Paul stresses this brotherhood. He stresses this love, this warmth among the Christian community. You know, the... uh, The disconnect in our, in our American culture sometimes, and, and even the way people hop around to churches, is just so unhealthy. Very few people, 
you know, grow up in the church and stay in the church, same church all their lives. They hop around, and, and this is not healthy. This is not God's purpose and plan. God wants us to get planted and grow in love, and he wants us to, this, this, you, you feel that. You got this brotherhood, this greet one another with a holy kiss. All the brethren greet you. There's this warmth, there's this love, there's this bond of, of unity and love that they have together, and that's what the Lord wants. That's what the Lord wants. You know, the grass greener on the other side of the fence thing, it's never, there's nothing, nothing new. You know, it's, it's the same everywhere, really. Y'all know that, don't you? It's the same everywhere. And so, as we conclude this, this book tonight, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray about picking up another book and we'll move through it. I, I'm, I'm going to do a, I'm going to take up a much simpler book in this next one. That's a very difficult book. Uh, you know, we actually started this at the other building. Yeah, at the other building before we sold. So it's, we've been in here a long time. But I'm going to take a, a, a little bit easier book and, and move through it on Wednesday night. I think it's healthy that a church has a book they're moving through in, in, in an expository type way. But I think I'll, I want to conclude this tonight with just praying for that spirit of love, praying for that spirit of unity, which, which, is, which is what keeps the church together. You know, God warns us about disunity and people that would cause disunity in a church. I really fear for their souls. I, I really say that. And, and, but let's pray for our own heart. Just put your hand on your own heart. Lord, help me to be a person of unity. We pray for our own hearts. Fill us with mercy. Fill us with love. Fill us with grace. God, here at Trinity Life, you are, you are growing us. Lord, you are, you are sending us new families. Lord, you are... You are saving the lost and adding them to the church. And Lord, we ask that that would increase. But Lord, we, we ask ourselves, what kind of church are they coming to? And Lord, we, we want it to be a church of unity where there's no jealousy, there's no sense of trying to exalt one person above, above another. But Lord, build a strong gospel family. Build a family in Christ. And Lord... Put a hedge of protection around this body. Help us to have mercy. Help us to have grace, Lord. I pray that, that you let each person that's listening and that will listen to this message by audio in the future, Lord, that you would do something that you want to do in them to make them a strong person. Make them a pillar in the body of Christ. Make them a model. Make, them, make us all models. Lord, we know. We look into our own hearts, and we know there's flaws there. We know there's things that we need to work on. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would work on them so that we can be shining examples of who you want to, us to be. And so, Father, we ask that your blessing be upon this evening as we conclude this, this book, and we ask your grace to be upon each of us. Bring us Sunday morning for our, our, our communion Sunday as we celebrate communion. As we continue in the book of Nehemiah, and Lord, as we, as we have membership class, just give us special grace. Give us an anointing. Give us your supernatural presence. And for this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you tonight as you're dismissed.